Yo. Yo. Who's going to do Hobbs Yo? Oh, I thought I was trying to do Hobbs Yo. Yeah. Yo. This is a little more animated and excited. Yeah, uh, no one can replicate that. It's true. We've Hobbs, tried. we miss you. So, yeah, today's a, this is a special one we got today. Um, little uh, off track. I know we did speak. Rev 64. Up next, we do have Rev 65, the battery LP. But we, we're we doing one today. Jason, tell them. This is one that, you know, we've, I feel like every time we've talked with this guest, we've said that we had to do an episode on this, and then we finally followed through. Yeah, this is one. So we talked to Tim Singer for the Bitter Branches episode that we put that's on the main channel. And then when we were talking to him for a Patreon for a Patreon episode, he talked about how he had done the artwork for this Gorilla Biscuit shirt that I've wanted forever, the Banana Core shirt. He has done the logo for Burn. He's done some. Uh, he did the GB logo. He's just done so much artwork that I wanted to put out there on the main channel. And recently on his Instagram he put up a story about how he created the burn logo. And I really thought this is an opportune time to try to nail him down, get him on, talk to him about doing some artwork, talk to him about boiling point photography that he's done. And uh, so this is just an episode for the main channel about artwork that Tim Singer's done over the years. Yeah. And just somebody who's was kind of at part of the revolution scene which is you know obviously what we're discussing from ground zero basically yeah and when i think of tim i think of dead guy i think of kiss a goodbye bitter branches he's done so much stuff he's been so prolific as a singer that's well known because he's such an awesome singer that uh i think maybe sometimes the artwork doesn't get as noticed as it should and so i just wanted to have this episode to try to give some shine to the artwork that he's done because artwork is so huge for records flyers, zines, getting people excited for shows. And I don't know if everyone realizes that when you have a bad flyer for a show, it doesn't excite you the way someone that puts some time and effort and love into something. How did you not mention shirts? Oh, you're right. I didn't really mention shirts. I, yeah, <laughs> I mean, right now. Shirts. Yeah, oh, right now. Yeah. <laughs> Records, flyers, <laughs> posters, coasters. Other things, coasters. Toasters. Tote bags. Yeah, uh, uh, socks, hats, but yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, for those of us that obsess over this kind of thing, the artwork is a huge part of it. You know, otherwise it's just okay. Yeah, you can go on Spotify or whatever and listen to the music, but it's always cooler as far as like records go, right? To have yeah the the artwork and the layout and t- yeah, Tim's done so much and so many things for bands that like i didn't know until we did the shades apart episode that like he laid out the save it record Mm -hmm. and we didn't talk about that on this episode. there's a lot of stuff that he's done that we didn't get a chance to talk about yeah i mean that's how much he's done that just says how much artwork that he's done that's recognizable that people know but we still weren't able to get to all of it right pleasure to pleasure to talk to great guy and um you know just has really cool stories and i always like having an excuse to to talk with Tim. So, and side note, the new Bitter Branches LP is just fucking awesome. Yes. You knew it before you had an advanced copy of it. 
uh, way before that it, it came out, but it's out officially and it rules. So if you haven't heard it, go check it out. It's called Your Neighbors Are Failures and it's awesome. It's on Equal Vision. Yeah. Uh, who, you know, sort of will be tying into a future episode too because uh, the shelter uh, is Rev 66, I think. The Quest for Certainty that was originally on Equivision. But yeah, the Bitter Branches record. I mean, I got to hear some some of those songs like before Tim joined, even just hearing the music. And when you hear the music, especially for the earlier stuff, it's not like you wouldn't picture Tim's vocals over it. And just the way it works is just awesome. Like it, like you're expect, you know, I kind of was expecting someone maybe trying to like, have like more melodic singing, but this is perfect for it. Agreed. Very Jesus um, lizard influenced. Yes. Which like we, you and I love all that stuff that absolutely noisy, you know, there's, like I said, it's like Rollins band. I hear all that stuff, which I know Tim will be stoked on, but um, yeah. So that was going to be my, my bit at bow anyway. Uh, oh, I stole just, it. Yeah. But no, I, I knew we were going to have something. Okay. You know, I figured we would have the same thing, but yeah, it's, it's totally relevant. The record came out this year, 2022. Um, I've already seen it on a lot of lists, people's favorite things of the year. So check it out. If you haven't, I got a few more for you there. I was going to say, before we move forward, should we take a minute to, I mean, really, I just want to give a bit of bow and shout it to Austin from praise because he was the one after he heard the Patreon episode where I said that I had not seen or have copies of the boiling point zines. He gave me some Xerox copies of the zines and that's what I was able to look at to talk to Tim about this, um, the artwork that he's done. And I tried to incorporate everything that we talked about into the video promo for the episode, just to give it some context for people that haven't seen the zines, but it's just, it's awesome. The amount of love and time they put into that is just you can tell how much they love hardcore with that zine and you can look on their Instagram boiling point zine for some awesome photos and Tim's Instagram, Tim singer. He's been putting up some blurbs about artwork that he's done in the past. And also I just wanted to say, if you want to get some dead guy merch, indie merch store, search for dead guy. There's a bunch of the designs that they did for their recent shows up online. Yeah. So check that out. Yeah, the boiling point, I remember, and, you know, we we talk about it a bit, and Tim's talked about it, like, having it compiled in a nice book. It'll happen someday. Um, But, uh, yeah, I had bootlegs of it as well. Sorry. But I actually... You did? I Back in the day, I had, like, Xerox copies that I bought from name redacted (laughs) (laughs) Um, (laughs) okay i'd never seen those before this year so yeah that's sick that you were able to get a hold of them i had um, i had a bunch i love print zines um you know always have so like all those books of zines i you know i can't really think of any that are hardcore related that i don't have on my shelf nice yeah, it's good. Like, they should be cataloged. They should be put out in yes. an anthology because it is, you know, it's an important part of yeah hard, hardcore history. Is that another? Yeah. That's another podcast, right? There's one. Yeah, called but hardcore like, history. it's definitely for someone 
like us that's kind of going backward. I mean, yeah, zines, even though I think they should still exist, and I know they do. I've seen some. Um, in fact, I was at Siren Records the other day, bit of bow, to our friends at Siren. And there was a zine there done by Bob Wilson, uh, who you know, I know. Um, and it was all about like some uh, shining some light on some more obscure like Pennsylvania hardcore bands. Oh, nice. Print, print zine. Um, so I do, they do still exist and I do think they should exist, but they're sadly not as important now as they were then because we have the internet. That's you true. You know what I mean? So yeah, it's, it's like, true. But we learned everything from like zines. You read an everything. interview with, you know, Floor Punch or whatever, and you find out this or what bands the other bands like or you know beef that there was all that you found out <laughs> through zines um yeah, it's true so yeah it's it's for especially the 80s and the 90s it's a great time capsule and so, all the photos the photos are insane yes yeah. but uh yeah also yeah shining life they've done an awesome job of putting out stuff and packaging it nicely the the in effect zines that we were lucky enough to get a copy of yes and then the hardware one's yeah. great um there's a few other zines out there i would like to see anthologies of boiling point being one um change zine was one i really liked oh, a lot back then dude i love that one that was a great one um and rump shaker was also, also loved. a great one yeah and rump shaker i want to say i got an issue I don't know when it was, but it didn't seem that long ago. But also, I'm getting a lot older. It was. It might have been 2011. Okay, it was, it was 2011. The, it was. It was before the judge reunion. Yeah, that was with Mike, and there was a ceremony interview in it and stuff. Right. That's the one. Yeah. Yeah. Got that on the shelf. So I got it on the shelf too. I don't have yeah. every zine. You know, I've got. Uh, I've got a lot of books, but I don't have everything that I'd like to have. Yeah, yeah, a lot so. of my zines are in storage, but but that's that might be one that's not. Maybe it is though. Yeah, but I before digress. we before we kick it, kick it. I just want to give one last bit at bow, just a huge, you know, shout out, and I just want to send some positivity out there to Matt Summers uh, for going through the brain surgery that he went through, which is something that I hope he just recovers from. I hope him and his family are doing well. Just giving him all the best. Bit of bow. As of today, there was an update to the, uh, you know, he has the GoFundMe and you get, when you donate, that was, was that like a terrible way of being like, I donated? <laughs> <laughs> like a stealth way. No, that was my segue to say you should go but, donate um, if you can. When you donate, you get like the email updates where, you know, whenever there's an update made, you get an email. And it looked like his sister updated as of today. Today's December 4th, putting a timestamp on this, uh, that he's getting moved to like a rehab center. So that's a that's great news. Okay, awesome. Um, so, yeah. I mean, I've known Matt for over 20 years. Always pleasure to run into, you know, shark attack, obviously, and just being an all-around awesome dude. Uh, so my best to him and his family and – uh, hoping for an easy recovery, but yeah, if you want to donate, I'm sure you have seen the GoFundMe. If you're if you're listening to this, yeah, you have at least one friend that's shared it. So, 
Absolutely. Definitely donate if you can. You really can never, have, you know, in a situation like this, who knows how long he's going to have to be in, you know, doing rehab and things and with medical expenses and uh, not working and, you know, probably having to pay to take Ubers and things like that. It it adds up quick. So definitely help, help dude out if you can. You think it's time to... Kick it. Let's get into it. Kick it. Can I kick it? Kick it. Kick it. I'm sorry. It's not right. But you are mine to sacrifice. I was hopeless. I was tired. And we got to survive. I'm sorry. Sacrifice. This is right. But enough about that. Right? Enough about that. That's not why we're here. Tim, yeah. <laughs> Tim, did you go to art school? I did. Um, I, you know, I was sort of the an arty kid, if you want to call it that. And, and um, I went to college and I just took art classes, right? Like I, I, maybe I was an art major. I don't know. I went to four different colleges and I like sort of bounced around. And my father always called it like Mickey Mouse classes. Like he'd never understood like why someone would take art classes in college because you know he was a mechanical engineer and sort of a very pragmatic guy. Um, and it wasn't until computers came out, like everything was being done on the Mac, right? And that he was like, "Oh, it's on computers. That's cool. Like that sounds technical and you know." worthy so legitimized it in his eyes a little bit yeah so it's funny because i went i took classes and like you know different colleges and i always did punk rock stuff in my classes like the first gorilla biscuit shirt i did was for a silkscreen class when i was at westchester um and when i finally went to rutgers to really kind of major in art and get a degree um, I, I knew what I wanted to do. I was already doing, like, everything I did for class was, like, real stuff, you know? Um, the first Dead Guy 7-inch, I turned in as a class project also, right? Like, stuff like that. So, um, so yeah, I did. But, I mean, I got just as much education in a way. I think creatively I got as much, like, college gave me sort of the technical, especially because the computer was coming out at the time, as far as being a tool for publishing um but i mean flyer art punk art like you know dead kennedy stuff whatever um that was as educational if not more you know in, and learning how to do shit on copy machines and with stencils and letter set type like that was way more educational than going to a class and having a teacher make you draw stuff with a rapidograph pen you know as an exercise like <clears throat> So yeah, that's a that's a long answer. Sorry. So real quick, Jason, I don't. Sorry, just to you. You talked about working with Mac and all. Um, for someone that knows nothing about computers and nothing about art, except for the few things that I've gathered over the years, what was it always about the Macintosh like that was you know used more for artistic? things and i know this is gonna make me sound like a complete idiot yeah. well, prepared for but and like you sound younger than me it's no big deal 
Because <laughs> so, I remember we had them in school. We had Macintosh right. for a while. And then, you know, and I, I started going to school in the mid 80s, like in elementary school. But then by the time I think I was in middle school, because, you know, I started kindergarten like 86 or whatever. By the time I was in middle school, the computers were all PCs. Like we didn't have like Apple was just like a thing of the past. Funny enough. Really? Interesting. Yeah. Like we didn't have them in school. Yeah. Apple was always for like the more artsy crowd because like they cared about fonts. Like you could get cool fonts and shit. Like the PC was literally for like spreadsheets and just really business oriented shit. And the software was shit. Microsoft was like a shark of a company, um, but didn't really care about innovation. Apple truly, um, under Steve Jobs, cared like, you know, he had the epiphany for like this sort of user interface by going to a calligraphy class, like that he, you know, <laughs> I think audited when he's he wasn't even really enrolled in the school. Um, and so the Mac was like, I just remember visiting Rutgers, a um visiting my best friend there who I did the fanzine with. Um I saw the I walked by the graphics lab and they had a photo scanner, right? And I was like, holy fuck, right? And there's like a room full of Macs. Um you know, and like every Mac came with like a selection of fonts and like the software was all designed like Photoshop and at the time it was like programs like Freehand and all this page maker, which then which led to Cork Express, which led to InDesign. Um, and it was all print stuff based back then. There's you weren't doing website stuff. Um, the Mac just like you couldn't do this stuff on a PC. It was like exclusively Mac. Like PC eventually sort of now it's all it doesn't matter. Like you can and everything's browser-based and shit like that. But if you wanted to be a designer and you like cared about typography and shit like that, and just the way something looked on screen, even um like if you were like editing things in Photoshop and stuff, like you had to have a Mac. And back then Macs were like sort of open source though. Like I used to take my Mac apart all the time and like upgrade the RAM and do shit like that. Now it's way more closed. It's sort of ironic. Um, Cause now people who want to build their own machines, build PCs, like it's, it's sort of all flipped. But um, Yeah. Like my son built his own PC. Right. Exactly. And, Nobody's doing that Mac anymore. The second you crack it open, the warranty's shit, and like they lock all that stuff up anyway. And, um, so, you know, now I've been using it for 25 years. So it's like I'm sort of, I'm sort of a Mac guy, I guess. Mm. But yeah, I and mean, for me, like, you know, I came from the cut and paste world where it's like, you know, to like when I the, just to enlarge a logo, I'd have to like, Grab my shit, put it in a bag, go to a coffee shop, wait for the self-service machine, or or pay too much to have some dipshit do it for me, and go behind the in the back somewhere and enlarge something. I mean, it was like a half-day affair just to do shit like that, right? And then to go home and like have the stuff to play with, right? Um, which is also kind of cool. You know, but when you're doing it, it's not that cool. Like yeah. you're not thinking, like, I'm being so artisanal and hands-on i'm gonna look back at this someday and think isn't that great like you guys like this is a pain in the ass um and then you see the you see the mac and you're like oh my god i can take all these photos just put them on the scanner and it 
scans it and then I can go into Photoshop and clean it up and play with it and enlarge it and shrink it and play with it. My layout, put, I mean, putting type over a photo. I used to like press type shit on a clear acetate, then put it over the photo, you know, and then Xerox it again to get type to look like, or I'd sometimes even just write on directly onto something. I would just do the press type or whatever. Um, so that's what the Mac meant then, you know, like, uh, it's literally why I, I left New York. Not the only reason I left New York, but, um, it was like, I, I remember I was doing all these logos and stuff for bands and t-shirts and everything. And I, I, Jordan was, um, he approached me at the anthrax and he's, you know, the quicksand seven inches coming out. And he asked me if I could lay it out, but if I knew how to lay something out, CMYK, I didn't even know what that meant. You know what I mean? Like, and he showed me like these specs where it talked about bleed and, you know, color separations. I had no fucking idea what any of that stuff was. So I literally was like, I can't do this thing. I can't create this record for a real printer. Like I didn't know how to do it. I had all these like skills for t-shirts and everything else, but I literally didn't know how to do that. You know? Um, and fans would always ask me to lay out shit like that. And if you weren't, you know, in the beginning, it was all cut and paste. I think the quicksand seven inch is one of the first ones that was like a full color. You know, if you look at the early rev stuff, it's all just Xerox folded in half shit. Right. And that was my lane. Um, so I just was like, I, I wanted to kind of keep up, you know, and like figure that shit out. And so I figured my father's willing to put me through school still, you know, four, four columns later. So I went to Rutgers. Did you ever come out with anything for that quicksand seven inch? Um, Anthony Papalardo one time messaged me something that you had drafted up, which turned into the no escape turning point split with the lumberjack. Yeah, that might've been it. That might've been, um, he, he probably remembers better than me. But yeah, I think, um, yeah. Cause a lot of times like, like, you know, I play around with graphics and then if like a band wants to do something, I'll be like, oh, that might be cool. And like that image to me sort of said quicksand in a way, right? Um, I love the, I, I don't know, I love that image of a guy. It looks like he's chopping down the limb of the tree that he's standing on. So he's sort of causing, I don't know, I thought that was cool. And I always had this cool idea for a quicksand logo that I never got to do. Um, Yes, that's probably true. And then No Escape came along and I had that and I just used it for No Escape. Nice. And before you started going to art school, what was what were some of the records or <clears throat> posters or shirts? Oh. Yeah, this is funny. Like I literally had this as just artwork, right? Like it, I literally was digging through all my shit. And then I think, you know, I was like, oh, I'll use that for No Escape. Um, so what was your question? I was saying before you started doing artwork of your own and even before you went to art school, what were some of the pieces of art that made an impression on you? Was it through bands? I mean, the I guess the band logos, stuff like that is something that we could relate to. But even beyond that, if there was some art that jumped out to you when you were younger. Um, yeah, big time was Winston Smith from Dead Kennedys. Um, that was by far the biggest influence on dead guy it's funny because people think dead guy like carved this new and i was like god i was just doing you know i mean i was doing my own thing but like it's very much you know inspired by that kind of stuff um 
I don't know, like the overall aesthetic, like, like to me is more like I love, you know, I was like every other kid at the time and I had a million flyers on my wall. I loved all that flyer art. Like I love just cut and paste. I just thought that shit was looked so cool and so hardcore, right? Like it didn't look didn't look, I don't know. Didn't look rock and roll. It's in it was its own aesthetic, right? And I was really drawn to that. And it was very doable, right? Like I loved I loved enlarging things and playing with them on the photocopier and shit like that. So any kind of uh, all those old flyers, like all those old Discord flyers, all that kind of shit really stuck in my mind. Um is there one that jumps out to you? Um there's well, the, the SSD storming the Capitol, like, I don't even know if that was a flyer first or something else first, but like, that was like sort of circulated around a ton. Um, There's also like uh, this agnostic front flyer where the artist was like incredible. And it's like this pit of like skinheads, like that's an I iconic flyer. Yeah. Right. Classic. And I think that probably influenced like, I, you know, the first two issues of Boiling Point like I was doing illustration on the covers and that was very inspired by that stuff. And then that was like, I'm no illustrator and it's so time consuming. Um, and I love photography. So it was like, I, yeah, you probably have stuff that like, yeah. So that, you know, it's funny. That's a picture of Harley that I drew. Oh, so that's Harley, awesome. Yeah. So it's Harley Flanagan. We're taking pictures of the, he was singing for the Chromags at the Anthrax, and like, he turns and just gets in the face of our camera, and makes his a classic Harley face. And I use that as like sort of the model to draw that cover. And then the the second issue of the Kid in the Pit, that's Walter. Like that's Walter. Do you actually, have that one, Jason? One, I want to see. One of the rare times I think Walter's ever stage dived at CDs, hmm. at least on record. Um, I got a great picture of it, and then I—I I do I, have it here somewhere. Yeah, <laughs> and then th this is that AF flyer, right? Exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah. all that stuff, right? Um, I don't know that. So I think I was like a hybrid of like growing up on. I mean, even the Black Flag stuff, right? Like the the Ray Pettibone, yeah, like all that stuff is. But it's funny because, like, my limitations at the time, like when I was doing mostly silk screening and making some flyers, like you're just limited to black and white. So you sort of you put on that mindset. Like, you know, I remember, like, I think once I tried to do a two color shirt for a band, you know, and literally I was in my apartment just screening these things, and then you'd have to get a second screen and try to line the shit up, and it was like torture, right? So. Mm -hmm. You just become a one color sort of mindset of like artist, you know? Yeah. It's funny also, now. Yeah. I was going to say, it's funny now how you're people now have that aesthetic where they're trying to recreate the way that things looked when you didn't have the capability to do what you can now. Mm -hmm. that's, right. kind of the, that's kind of the hot thing now is to try to make things look photocopied and fucked up and imperfect. Whereas that just seems to be part of the process of doing it yourself by hand. Yeah, I get Instagram ads all the time for how to make something look like a photo copy <laughs> or like blown out sections or this or that. And it's like, right. uh, I feel like Jeremy Dean, 
uh, had a hand in that too with the the photocopy you know moving it on the photocopier and then just kind of became a a, a trend right yeah like I love that for Jeremy Dean mm -hmm. I don't want to see anybody else doing it it's like it's mm -hmm. tires right but that mm -hmm. I mean that was happening oh yeah his stuff I love his stuff but I know what you yeah. mean like because then sometimes I'll see things like that and I'll be like oh is this Jeremy and it's like no no it's somebody else it's like yeah I right see that it becomes program. a thing like like <laughs> when i was in college like ray gun came out which was this david carson magazine look it up if you don't know it like um and that's another that was another that so i mean things outside of music that were big influences on me were ray gun which was like this amazing magazine with just crazy typography almost illegible sometimes um and emigre which was like the opposite. It was like these people who leaned in and embraced the computer and typography when everybody else was sort of scoffing at it. Um, and so those things were huge influences. Like the dead guy font um, is an emigre font that I altered, right? And so does true design nerds who were my age probably pick up on some of these things. Um, but yeah, everything becomes so. So David Carson had a certain way of doing typography, and then you start seeing it like using like an American Express ad, right, or whatever. Like you just see these things happen. These trends sort of, you know, everybody's I think scrambling to feel authentic. So now it's like get your true grit filter and add noise mm -hmm. to your thing. And, um, yeah, I, I to me it's also it's like coming at that as a designer, all that noise, all that texture is just, um, you're sort of hiding. Like you're not making design solutions, you're just fucking around and being like, that's cool. But you're not like, if you're a real designer, you don't need that shit, right? Like you, you'll you do it because it's a deliberate choice, but you don't need to do that for every fucking thing you do. Um, and then, cause then it just gets ubiquitous and it's not that cool, right? It's not that special. So I don't know, I like, you know, I like Ray, like all, I like all the black flag art and I like that no one else really did that. You know, so you sort of see black flag stuff and you know it's black flag stuff and you know, that's that, right? And Jeremy Dean stuff now it's like, yeah, like you said, like maybe it's Jeremy Dean, maybe it's someone else who figured out how to do this or like, I know how to do that in Adobe Illustrator, right? Like I know how to use a couple of filters to do that to some type and and, and now I think it's funny. I have a, you know, I, I have my own design studio and I have one client asking me to do like, you know, asking me if I can make something like make something look sort of punk rock. And I was like, that's kind of fun. <laughs> <laughs> you know I mean? like, and like, I'm trying to tell me at the same time, also trying to like have a, you know, trying to tell me what's punk and what's not punk. And I'm just like, oh my God. <laughs> like so meta and weird. And you know, actually, yeah, yeah. actually. <laughs> I so, think I could try that. Yeah. <laughs> so we talked about it on one of our Patreon episodes, but real quick, just give us a rundown of Boiling Point and the story about the zine for the people that don't know. And also, when I got my hands on these, because these are just bootleg copies of the of Boiling Point, there's so oh, many wow. photos in here that are just, I mean, it kind of blows my mind to see them in the zine because I'm used to seeing them in record layouts. So do you right. know, do you know offhand, you know, what, what, photos were used and what layouts especially for the red releases that we've covered yeah so probably you know the cover of the judge record is one of our photos for for example right 
And I think that's actually a Youth of Today show is the funny thing. Um, it is. Hey, Gorilla Biscuits. We have a ton. The first seven inch, that might be the first thing that we were in. The first seven inch that, you know, the fold out picture at the Anthrax. Um, we took that. And it's also the same show where um, that's where we started the zine. Because um, Gorilla Biscuits was in the first issue, I believe. And like, I remember being a freshman in college and I remember like having the Gorilla Biscuits demo. I can't remember if it came out in 85 or 86. Um, and just like loving it. Like it was like such a breath of fresh air in the sort of New York hardcore vernacular. Like everything before that was Agnostic Front and Chromags and sort of tough. And here's this band from Queens. It's got a little bit of a hookier vibe. and. Um, yeah, so I just like me and my roommate, who's Tom Rock from Boiling Point, we're like sort of obsessed with Gorilla Biscuits, and we we drive. We went to school in South Jersey, and we drive up to New York to see bands and CDs all the time. And then a year later, I was at a different college because I just hopped around, and it was me, my stepbrother Dennis, Den, Den, and Tom Rock were hanging out, and Dennis was like, "I'm starting a fanzine," and he was going to school in Boston at the time. So he's super into like SSD and DY, like because we all these bands were sort of done when we were that age. So, but you're discovering them, you know, like, and you can still find their records in the used bins. Like if someone said, "Oh my God, buy!" I remember Gavin Van Black meeting him at Venus Records when I was still in high school, and he's like, "Buy anything on Exclaim." Like we were both going through like the used section of Venus Records at the time. I was like, "Okay," um, you know, and it's, that's SSD. DYS, whatever, all that kind of shit. So Dennis was up in Boston, like loving SSD, and they had that song Boiling Point. So that's where the name came from. And we had figured out that Youth of Today basically based their sound on Boston hardcore stuff. And Youth of Today is one of our favorite bands, all that stuff. Um, so we just decided, let's fuck it, let's do a fanzine, right? Nobody's really did like like all the New York stuff was sort of exciting. We were you know, we were in Boston and Pennsylvania at the time, but um, we just sort of felt like New York was where the shit was happening, right? There were so many good bands. Like every week, we'd go to CBGBs and see great bands. So, or the Anthrax, or we're, you know, like we were spoiled if you think about it. Every weekend was like an epic show. Um, so, yeah, we, you know, got a little micro cassette recorder we wrote down a bunch of questions that we thought were super smart at the time you know i don't know if i think that way now but um went and interviewed siv and i remember luke was there and we had no idea walter who walter was that walter wrote the stuff you know so we interviewed siv and uh put out 50 copies of that issue and then i, I think i met walter at some records or ran into him and he was like in a very cool way, he was like, actually, you know, I wrote all the lyrics, I write all the music. If you don't mind, could you interview me, you know? And I was like, of course. So we had basically, after that first 50 copies of Boiling Point One Civ, the rest have a Walter interview. So it's kind of, there's kind of two versions of issue one of Boiling Point. Um, and design-wise, I thought most stuff looked like a lot of fanzines look like shit. There's Maximum Rock and Roll, which was okay. But Triple X Fanzine by Mike Gitter, I thought was fucking great. 
Um, that was by far the biggest influence, I think, on us. And then Schism was sort of out at the same time. And I always thought anything Alex did was great. Um, he's almost an underrated designer because he's been in so many great bands. But, you know, Alex Brown, the, the, the Judge logo, the Schism designs, like all that stuff was just fantastic. So I always remember being sort of inspired with whatever Alex was doing. Um, but I don't know. We took pictures. We all we all had sort of good cameras, and I I was always interested in photography. My brother was. We all so we were all good with a camera and built a dark room. We developed our own film. So I think the photography was as much as we you know. To me, it was such a the shows were so great and so like visceral, and nothing was being documented. You know what I mean? Like, I mean, BJ Pappas, you'd see her at every show, but nobody's like making a zine about any of this, really. Um, and other, you know, I grew up reading about other you know, areas and reading zines from other places. So we just figured we should do it. Um, so that's how that started. So when it was going on, even then, it seems like you knew like, hey, this is this is pretty important. Because you know how a lot of times people, it's like when you're in the moment, maybe you don't realize like, how fortunate you are for what you're experiencing. Um, you know, even specifically just talking about hardcore, right? Or whatever. Like you just may like it sounds to me at least, like you didn't take it for granted. Like you weren't just like, uh, whatever, this is I'm going because I'm going to this show because I've nothing to do. Like it seems like no, no, no. For you guys definitely had like a you knew like this is the shit. And uh I want to make sure that we let other people know it's the shit yeah and i mean for me personally like punk hardcore sort of filled a void in my life um where i sort of needed it like i wasn't getting what i needed from like from whatever culture suburbia was providing me like i needed that outlet you know um and then i we, yeah, I do remember feeling like, oh my God, I'm so lucky I live a train ride from like when I was in high school. I could take a train to New York and see like what I thought were the best bands in the world at the coolest clubs. And I could go to the best record stores. You know what I mean? Um, we definitely were sort of aware of how lucky we were with that because other scenes seemed sort of like duds. Like I'd read Maximum Rock and Roll and you'd look at these other, like these scene reports from all over the country and and I'm like, man, we're fucking spoiled, you know, like, like, and then it, it, it happened fast. If you think about it, like in a two year span, it's like, I think in a two year span, Youth of Today went from like a, a band that just was like any other band to a band that broke up to a band that played Europe for the first time to like becoming like iconic. Like it all happened, right. like, you know, like these things in your mind took a long time but if you really think about it that shit happened fast you know um oh yeah i've said like the i think break down the walls came out in what early 87 late 86 and then the we're not in the Alone was 88 and right they were basically done by 89 right and when you're, like when you're a kid three like years miles apart yeah is yeah. a long time but is it it's got to be crazy to you too to go off on a bit of a tangent like you said to see that these bands that you were seeing like people still care about them. I mean, youth of today just played I know. our yeah. area the other day. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's crazy. And it, and it was a it was packed. Um, so that's it kind of shows the enduring like legacy of all these bands uh 
that people still care. I mean, God, we're soon we're going to be coming up on 40 years later, <laughs> which is nuts. Right. Yeah. I mean, I, I first saw you today in 1986. I mean, because they opened for Reagan youth, you know what I mean? Wow. Like it's crazy. Yeah. Like, you know, um, I've told the story before, but not to you guys, I guess, you know, like Reagan youth are fucking great. And oh, there's this other band you said today. I still have the flyer, right? It was like one of those half size flyers. But if it, by the way, I think dance, this is like when Madonna would, was like a regular at Danceteria. But there's like an upstairs and a downstairs. But I just remember Youth of Today coming in. I had no idea who they were. And they're like thick bald. I just realized my Spotify. Let me fucking kill that. Sorry. <laughs> um, You're waiting for your Spotify wrapped. Yeah. <laughs> Soon. Uh, Sorry. And I'm gonna put on do not disturb so it doesn't beep. But um yeah, I literally I vividly remember it was probably Ray and Purcell. I don't know, they were like all sort of shorter, wider, bald as hell. I think t-shirts with no sleeves, just fucking tough looking, giant X's. And like I was not a straight edge kid, but I you know, I grew up on minor threat and that stuff. So I I but sort of straight edge had a great sort of energy to it. And I thought, wow, straight edge in New York City at that time was like pissed, right? Like it wasn't like a given. Like two years later, it seemed like the easiest thing to do was to go to a show and say you're a straight edge kid and wear the straight edge shirt. Right. So but you never sticks. you never got caught you never got uh caught up in, in straight edge stuff? Like as uh, far as like being straight edge? Oh, for sure I did, yeah. Okay. <laughs> I was gonna say it seems like everybody like it, it seems like back then I can imagine <clears throat> I mean everybody you're hanging out with at that point probably is yeah. you know like pretty um, much like yeah I mean I was definitely straight edge I mean I was straight edge up until I was like in my 30s um on and off though like but um with boiling point, like we were also very aware of like we didn't want to be like like I wasn't this, I wasn't, I didn't want to be um I didn't want to be a flag waver. Like I was I was into it. I think I was like, it's great. Like if I uh, given a choice of someone being straight edge or not, like why would you ever argue with someone being straight edge? Especially when like when I was a high school kid, I was sort of an angry drunk that would punch holes in the wall because I didn't know why I was angry, right? So I was just like melodramatic. So I was like, me give it, and literally when, like, when I met my girlfriend's, who's now my wife, when I was 18, 17, 18, I smoked. I was still a smoker, right? And But I was super self-conscious about how I smelled around my girlfriend. And, you know, and I'm listening to more and more of the straight edge stuff. Like, even Girl Biscuits turned out to be sort of a straight edge band. I didn't realize that when I first listened to them, because they didn't sort of present themselves that way. Um I quit drinking so I could quit smoking because I was determined because every time I fucking drank, I I'd, I'd bum a cigarette off of somebody and, and like, you know, I was determined to stop smoking because my girl, I just felt gross around my girlfriend. Um, and then it was like, you know, being straight edge around all those guys is almost easier to be straight edge and hang out with all these guys. Um, but I was never like, fuck those drinkers, you know, like, I don't know. And, and New York wasn't really that way either. You know what I mean? Like, it was like there was like crews, but they all sort of hung out together and did stuff. You know, like I don't know if the raw deal guys were straight edge, but 
or the sick of all guys, but they'd all hang out together. And like, there was no, it wasn't like Boston where like this, these ideas of people knocking beers out of hand yeah. like that, like that, that's the kind of shit I was like, that's just stupid. Um, but definitely like you get caught up in it, you know, like I was, you know, and even the fashion of it, you get caught up in um, until it, to me, when it started to get too clicky and remind me of high school all over again, I was like, fuck this. Like, like it needs to be punk. Like, you know, like I don't, I, I'm not into uniforms. Um, and Boiling Point made a point of every issue having a non-straight edge band, you know, nice. you know, whether it was half off or American standard or whatever it was, um, we made a point of that. So, so. It, it looks like there's a bunch of images from the zines that have been taken and then used for shirts. And I can't tell which of these are shirts that you made yourself or the Boiling Point made or were just fan made shirts using the um the images that are in there there's the inside out shirt that i love it's got the it says soul expression and it's got the two faces of zach one going one way one going the other and the back has the lyrics to oh. surrender and then i saw that that was in the soul expression part <laughs> isn't but but the back of the right. shirt is in um is in the zine here oh right it's the yeah. lyrics for no spiritual oh, wow. surrender but oh, crazy that's funny <laughs> i'm looking yeah, through i mean the, we the were basically Sorry, go. I was just saying, I'm looking through the pictures that you sent, and it's just like there's so much cool stuff. Yeah, I mean, and I don't know if you guys put that stuff up later as far as the interspersed imagery or whatever, but it doesn't matter. Um, yeah, so Boiling Point, our whole concept too was um, we were sort of open source, is how we thought of it, right? Like we took all these pictures. Um, I remember giving Tim McMahon of mouthpiece fame and every every other fame um he worked he or tracy is it tracy mm -hmm. His wife? yeah yeah uh one of them worked at a photo place right and i was like dude can you make prints of every single negative because like i like i would make contact sheets and i'd make prints but you know um i just wanted to have like four by five or whatever size just prints and he's like and he's like, absolutely. As long he's like, can I make copies for myself? And I was like, absolutely. And I was like, and if you, you know, ever, if anybody ever wants to use them, that's fine. Just credit boiling point. But that's all we ever cared about was like that people know where it came from. And I, I think people probably use like layouts for stuff too. Like, but you know, all of that to me is just it was just meant to be sort of open source. And it's it's nice to get the credit if possible. Yeah, we see. We probably took that from something. I don't know where it came from at this point. <laughs> okay, Dude, that's it's, it's chicken and egg at this point. Yeah, that's a youth of the day. <laughs> it's a youth of the day um, article, and then it's got the word on the alone with the hands shaking. I think me and Hob are wondering where that yeah. came from at one point. So just just looking through the zines, there's just so much iconic images and illustrations and photos that people have taken and then used for their own. Yeah. It's crazy. Um, yeah, and the photos, like, you know, everybody wants us to reprint the zines. Um, but, like, I want, I'm more interested in, it's funny because, like, I, I went back and read some of, like, I've been pouring through the archives. I think I sent you guys a picture of that one spread with, like, the scene, it's a scene report and, like, the types all falling off. And um, if you read the record reviews, it's hilarious because literally I'll, I'll write, like, 
it's pretty good. It's not as hard as it should be. Death to emo core. You know, <laughs> sort of guy. It's like, it's like, <laughs> and I'm, I, I remember like there's a laughing hyenas review where I just shred it. I'm like, this is not negative approach. It's for people who like to wear all black and like be depressed in their room. And it's like now it's one of my favorite fucking records. So it's like it like, you know, it it's cool. It's a time capsule, but it's not like, you know, it's not like I saw the reviewed uh eight way Santa. I love that the Tad eight way oh, Santa. Oh, that Tad? That's funny. Yeah. He gave it a pretty good review. He said it's a, he said it's not as uh not as heavy as the prior records, which is true. But it's so funny because everything was about whether it was heavy or not, you know. Um yeah, you just don't think that way when you get older. Like, I don't think, like, is it heavy? Like, I remember going, I wrote a good Swizz review, but it, by contrasting it with all the shitty Discord stuff that wasn't hard, you know, because I thought Discord went to shit. And now I'm like, I probably listen to more of that Discord stuff that I was hating, you know. <laughs> That's probably yeah. the stuff I listen to now. So, yeah. I've um, it too. So, yeah. I mean, even in a couple of years, like, I'm thinking about how, like, when we started this podcast and I was like, yeah, discord, like I never really cared about anything past, you know, Fugazi or whatever. And then I went back and fell in love with the longfish catalog. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And that's only like, you know, two years, two and a half years ago. So imagine looking back 30 years later, probably said some wild shit. Well, it's crazy. Cause like, um, this is a, like a stream, stream of consciousness podcast, but that's fine with me. Like, so we we interviewed Fugazi in like '89. They played they played New York, you know, and they seemed so old to me, right? And I think they were in their mid twenties. Like, it's kind of crazy, right? They seemed so old and mature compared to us. We worked so hard on the questions. And we were like, how do we not piss off Ian? We don't want to ask straight edge questions because that'll just annoy him. Because like in those early Fugazi shows, people would yell minor threat shit at him and all this stuff, and he was just, you know, very guarded. But like even that, even that was like sort of eye opening. Because I was like in New York, thinking New York was the shit, but Fugazi was just next level, right? Like, and we did get like Ian had just served jury duty, so this goes back to like how into straight edge, like I don't know, the whole straight edge sort of backdrop of everything. And this is sort of an eye-opening thing for me because he was like, because here's the godfather of straight edge, right? And he was like, I never meant to like for this to become a flag that people wave, right? Was, he's just, I was just writing about like what I was reacting against at the time, right? Um, but he served jury duty where they were trying to send someone away for pos possession of marijuana, right? And so here's Ian Mackay, minor threat, embrace Fugazi, like peak powers, still known as like the straight edge guy before anything else. And he was like, fuck that. There's no way I'm sending someone to prison for possessing something that grows out of the ground. And like, why would I, like, why would someone go to prison? Like, it was like his his way of thinking about it was so cool and thoughtful and like sort of more philosophical than anything that I was like, holy fuck. You know, like he thinks way beyond, like, you know, he created this label almost against his, like by accident. Um, but that's so not how he thinks. He doesn't think in these sort of, and that has such an impression on me. Um, like even like the way I thought about straight edge and and 
why people choose to do drugs or not do drugs. I don't know. It's just like it's like this fat. I don't know how much of that made it into the, the actual zine because um, it was a really long interview. But that was like this conversation that sort of molded me to some degree. And that has nothing to do with design. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's it's uh it's relevant to the zine, and the zine has awesome design work that I don't know how you laid this out. It just blows my mind when I was flipping through these, and we would love it if it did surface and come out at some point. But I'm sure that's something that you've been pestered about in the past. Yeah, I was gonna say, but it would be awesome as like a book. Yeah, yeah, and 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 think about if you weren't there, if and didn't document what was happening with these photos, how different the records would look without those photographs there that you can look. I at mean, the judge cover alone. Show. Can you imagine? I can't imagine any other cover for the judge LP. yeah and i remember like looking through contact sheets and i think tom tom rock uh, he might have taken that shot we never know who took him the, the biggest giveaway is if one of us is in the pit we know we didn't take it but, <laughs> but other than that it's like or maybe like maybe you were standing in the back of cbs and i was on the stage like we try to figure that shit out um but we were like that reminded us of the clash it just looked like this sort of just like I don't know, like it reminded us of uh, like the cover of the, that, that Clash album. And it just looked like, I don't know, from behind, like it wasn't like, there's so many, it got to a point where like when we first were at shows, there's a few people taking pictures, right? Then quickly, it was like today with iPhones, it was like everybody's taking fucking pictures and everybody knows when the band is gonna jump. And the band knows that they're going to take pictures when they jump. So they start jumping, right? So it's like the whole thing became a weird, almost karaoke, you know? Um, and so I love that judge picture because it's sort of like he's not, he didn't, you know, clearly he's not aware of the camera and it's just a real shot. I don't know. I love the perspective of it. So I was just, and that's how I like, I look at these photos. Like, well, like one of my favorite photos from boiling point is of crackdown who aren't necessarily one of my favorite bands and they're not one of the most known bands but it's like it's from behind it's like it's from cb's but i'm behind them or whoever took it is behind them so you're seeing him looking at the crowd and the crowd just looks like it goes forever and that's what cb's felt like it just felt like these shows of like this sea of sweaty mostly young men um but I don't know. It just sort of captures what it felt like at the time, you know. I think I think my favorite photo was seeing the one thing that still holds true cover for the oh. chain compilation, and also Kurt's wearing the GB shirt that you made. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know it's kind of better, right? There's so many shirts of guys wearing the shirts that we because, like, the uh, the Boiling Point apartment, I guess you'd call it, was in Greenpoint, Brooklyn, right? And that's where so much of the silk screening happened we would drive into the city into lower manhattan get all these go go to like under the williamsburg bridge you get all the shirts wholesale and then fill as many as that we could into the corolla and then go back and screen a shit ton of shirts for whoever is playing that weekend um but yeah ton, mostly gorilla biscuits shirts i think i think there's just sold you know like they were just popular band and the shirts were popular um, but like at any time band and then like if bands were touring like chain they would like people knew they could stay at our place and then if people stayed at our place and they see all these silk screens 
now they want these shirts right while they're there so now we're making a beyond shirt on the front with youth today lyrics on the back or whatever apparently now all this shit's like super collectible you know yeah absolutely yeah. actually uh i talked to Dwid last week and he said that that happened when strife stayed at his house they would just take like whatever blanks fucking reversible champion ringers and this and that yeah. and it's like confront on the sleeve and integrity on the front and then it shows up on ebay in 2022 for fucking 800 dollars, and it's just yeah, a nice. one-off that somebody made it's fucking crazy <laughs> yeah but um, you know, in my garage yeah seriously we we talked amongst ourselves and there's two logos that you're responsible for that we really wanted to cover before we you know kind of i don't know we could go on forever we literally could bother you forever this could be a tim stinger podcast <laughs> uh we want to talk to you about the burn logo and the gorilla biscuits logo um so i guess take take it away whichever one of those you want to talk about first um well let's talk about the Gorilla Biscuits, so the LP, right? Um, I think that's another example. I forget who did the design, but so, you know, I'd always done Gorilla Biscuits shirts, right? And we did the classic GB with the live photo on the back forever. And then, and then someone was like, can we do a new one, right? And so we, Tom Rock had the idea of doing like this evolution idea, right? Mm -hmm. And I was like, that's great. So we went and found a book at the library because that's how you had to do this shit. We never returned the book. So I think he still has it. <laughs> and, and then I was like, how about we do the evolution and it leads to the caveman dude from the cover of the demo, right? So it's evolution to man to the Gorilla Biscuits dude. We just thought that was great. And we we did that, and then I he's walking across Gorilla Biscuits in all lowercase in Helvetica bold, um, and I remember Arthur just like was like, oh my god, it's my favorite fucking shirt ever, and we made a shit ton of those, and I can't remember if on the back of that the Circle GB was on there. It might have been because I forgot that I used the Circle GB, so the you know where it's a G and a B and it forms sort of a circle, right? I carved that out of Rubylith, maybe, which is like the stuff you use for silk screening. I don't know if you guys know. Rubylith is like this clearish red. It's like a red translucent film that way back in the day, you, with an X-Acto knife, you would draw something and peel away stuff. And then the red Rubylith you use as sort of a negative to, to expose your screen. Yeah, that was how we did it uh, when I was in industrial arts class. Yeah. Seventh grade, I think ours was green, but same deal. It was like a yeah. And I remember I mean, one of the first shirts I did was a slap shot shirt, and I painstakingly like drew the hockey sticks and the and the, the logo, like all that stuff was done by hand. Um. So, yeah. So that GB circle, I think it showed up on the back of that shirt. So it's like you got the evolution guys on the front and the GB logo thing on the on the back. And I can't remember if we wrote anything with it or not. And then the album came out, but I had nothing to do with the layout of it. But then there's this, there's that logo and there's the evolution on the bottom. And it's one of those things where it's like, we always got credit for our photos, but I never, yeah, exactly. But you know, you never get credit for like creating a graphic, right? Mm -hmm. Like, especially back then. And I wasn't thinking like, I made a logo, 
So I should think about the fact that I made a logo. Um, I mean, that's an iconic logo. Like, right. Yeah. yeah. And then you know what like, I mean? like, that's like, you see that and you know, you know, it's Gorilla Biscuits. Um, and the layout was because we actually talked to Dave Bett. This was one of the ones yeah, Dave yeah, Bett yeah. worked on with. Uh, yep. He worked on it with the band. Mm -hmm. I'm guessing Walter. I forget. Yeah, probably. Yeah. The other fun fact is I'm on the cover of that, that the Gorilla Biscuits LP. You can see my face. So I felt slightly vindicated for that. Underneath, nice. I think it's Alex's or Walter's leg that's up in the air. That pretty face, that's me. Yeah, there, you, there I am. Ah. <laughs> but yeah, yeah the, I'm pretty sure those are exactly the evolution dudes from the shirt. They probably had the shirt, whatever. But for all I know, I gave them the, the original artwork because I would give people that shit all the time too. Yeah. Um, so that's that's basically like, you know, it went from being t-shirt art to being used on one of the most iconic LPs of all time in punk world. Yeah. Oh yeah. And I, you know, I think we're I think our pictures are on that album too. Um on the inside and in the lyric sheet. I'm sure there's boiling point photos. But uh yeah, I, I love being a part of that little piece of history. Um as much as anything else. I just I just enjoy that. Like and then uh how Burton, stoked were you when you got the when you got the record? It's like your picture on the front to see all that it, it, i don't even know if i realized right away that i was on the cover and then i figured out like i you know i remember the show because like what happened what would happen then is like first time i saw youth of today cbs was half full right and maybe break down the walls is out maybe just can't close my eyes seven inch you know two shows later it was packed and like the more packed it got you were lucky enough to know anybody in the band you went side stage so you didn't get smushed or you could take a break and then crowd surf and then go back side stage so that was my nice little perch especially if you took pictures like i would jump in with my little point and shoot take a couple of pictures and then run back side stage so i knew like i was like oh wait it was that show because like you start to remember like what people wore at shows too if you take pictures like i like committed to memory that civ wore a unit pride t-shirt Walter wore a Bad Brains t-shirt at that Anthrax show that, you know, is on the lyric sheet for the seven inch. Like, uh, and I, it was like, a, I think Siv made the unit pride shirt. Like, I think like you remember all this kind of shit from your twenties. <laughs> um, but yeah, I was super stoked when it came out. Plus it just looked good. Like, it's just a good looking record, you know, like, and I'm not, you know, I have it with the embossed letters or debossed or whatever it is. Like it was just like Jordan was going to town on stuff back then. Like, you know, bold was a gatefold. Like it was just and that actually has that has boiling point pictures too. Speak like, out. Pretty much everything has. Yeah, speak out. There's definitely boiling point pictures in there. Um I've always wanted that we asked we asked Jordan how many copies start today sold. Because mm. I've heard all different things, but I mean it's definitely their number one selling release, I think. Right. I guess like, the question is like, is it a gold record? You know what I mean? Like, is it's it... got to be, right? <laughs> don't you think? Did you ask him before and he didn't directly answer? I don't remember. I think we no, did he's ask never him directly. Him. He's, he's probably he's coy about it. it. Yeah, he's never directly answered. Yeah. He never okay. directly Last answered. Last I heard, it was so. like 150,000 copies, but 
That's Scott that Andy. sounds That's so, so low. Low. That sounds yeah. low. Yeah. yeah. It was the it was the heyday of vinyl. You know what I mean? Like, um, yeah. But it's funny because like in Dead Guy, we were talking about that, and none of us have any idea how many records we sold. You know, people would tell me we sold this many, sold that many, but nobody really knows. Yeah. And now nobody sells records unless it's to collectors. Like, so it's you know, it's, you can't sort of compare ears anymore, but. But that was the heyday of, you know, you had to buy the vinyl. Or the right. And like, I, like CDs. we know that the top three would be Gorilla Biscuits, Start Today, Texas is the Reason LP, and uh, the Inside Out 7-inch. Really? Not Judge? No. I mean, I'm sure Judge is up there. Right. Oh, but, uh, exactly yeah. Exactly. I I can't. I'm not sure I've ever heard the Texas is the reason LP. I'm sorry to say, it's good. I love it. The drumming's sick. Yeah, the the whole thing's good, but the drumming. And Jay Robbins produced it, which was cool for I think a Revelation. Yeah, yeah. Release like something different. And wait, Norm is in that too, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Those guys are my buddies, but it's just I think I don't know. I wasn't paying attention as much when that stuff came out. Yeah. So you got to talk us through the burn logo and create oh, that yes. one because that's and another then, iconic logo. And then we got a I got a follow up question for you. Yeah, so burn for anybody who didn't read my Instagram post, which turned out to be super popular for some reason. Um, <laughs> I think I think I'm trying to remember who asked me. It was either Alan or Gavin or Chaka. I mean, I knew all those guys. Um, but it might have been Alan was the one who knew I'd done so many shirts and I, I'd done Beyond shirts. So it, I'm thinking it was probably Alan who asked me to do burn shirts. Um, and it was one of those like, we need shirts. And that was it. Band's called Burn. Yeah, I didn't do those. I didn't do that font. Like I did these great Beyond shirts that were inspired by um, the ones I did. It said Beyond, 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 Beyond. And the other I one totally was, thought you did this one. I'm sorry. Yeah, no, it's all right. Um, one looks like the Blast logo. Because I just wanted to do one that looked like the Blast logo with that sort of the outline type, and another one just said Beyond, 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 because it was inspired by those plastic thank you bags you used to get back in the day. Oh, <laughs> I was awesome. like, that'd be a fucking great Beyond shirt. Uh, <laughs> we're talking like 1988, like uh, that was like an epiphany. Um, but anyway, so one of those guys asked me to do their shirts, and that all I knew was the name of the band, so. I literally was like, how do I not make it look like a hot rod flame thing? Like, I didn't want to do anything cheesy. Um, and like, I don't know, Burn, I, you know, I, I'd heard them pre-recording, right? Like, just, I sort of, I knew what they sounded like. I knew what Gavin, what Gavin wrote like, you know, and to me, it was like thick, you know what I mean? So I wanted Burn to just feel like solid. And then it's like, okay, what letter set do I have? Like, what press type do I have? It wasn't like, I wasn't drawing logos by hand. I was always choosing fonts from my stack of letter set type. Um, chose that font and just type, you know, typeset it. And like, well, that's not enough, right? So what do I do? So I literally just started fucking with it with a, like my X-Acto knife. And so I sort of thought it looked like something that maybe looked like charred remains or ash. Mm-hmm. I don't I don't know. I was, I was just going for a feel. And then I blew it up and fucked around with it on copy machines until I liked it. And then made shirts out of it. And, and then I remember just 
giving Chaka the screen one day because they wanted to keep making more, but they like they wanted to just make their own. And I was like, I'll just give you the screen. And then it becomes like one of the most ubiquitous still to this day. I mean, like, you know, I just shared a stage with them two weeks ago. And, you know, that, that logo is still alive and kicking. Like, and I remember that, and I remember that coming out on the, you know, I got the CD, the CD single, whatever it's called. Like, I still have it. And it just looks so fucking good on a seven, like on a square layout. Like, I was just like, just stoked, you know. Um, it's like someone using one of your pictures in a way. Like, when, like, that's how my mind was with that stuff. I was just like, I'm so stoked they used the logo from the shirt. You know what I mean? Um, and then it's just been used about, you know, like they've used it forever. And it sort of, you know, I, it luckily sort of stands the test of time. And I think it's because I wasn't trying to do like anything hot rod flamey like that would have been popular at the time or whatever. Do you remember what colorway you did for the shirts? For the first ones that were printed? Yeah, I think they were, the shirts were like a dark red and I used like a white ink. Oh my God, I just saw one sell not too long ago. <laughs> <laughs> I knew you were going to answer with that because I saw it and I thought, man, I wonder if this is one of the early ones, but yeah, that must have been. Yeah, there might be like, did. there might be like four dozen or two dozen of them, oh. like not that many. Yeah. <laughs> so after the burn logo was printed, this came out. Sometime after it was made. I'm so stoked that you have this. Oh, this yeah, is, yeah, yeah. This is How the Larry. crazy is that? This yeah. is the Larry Bird Boston Celtics shirt that takes the burn logo and just spells bird with this with the same uh Yeah. That's crazy. <laughs> like that's the most mainstream. Usually usually it's the other way around or like we're yeah. ripping their shit off, right? Yeah. Like I can see a band ripping off the Celtics logo. Mm -hmm. and doing something but the idea that and you know i don't think larry bird's remotely punk rock like I'm <laughs> <laughs> like uh, it's it, it actually doesn't work with him like it's like it's like but you know they should have like a leonard skinnard logo for him you know what i mean like that would make more sense but uh yes. yeah because wasn't he the 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 hick from french lick or something but, wasn't yeah. it was, uh... <laughs> exactly. what, what, what did you think the first time you saw that shirt though you had to have become aware of it sometime after it came yeah, out right? in the early 90s like on facebook or instagram and it was like was this literally someone asked me with a straight face but it was not in person if that was the inspiration for the burn logo mm -hmm. and i was like what the fuck are you talking about like <laughs> i like you got it backwards like you know um i've got to so say that I first thought i was like amused you know it's, like it's one really of my like, favorites like period it's the burn logo oh, yeah cool. just yeah, that's like it, one of my favorite like it just i because I love that that one it looks chaotic and it looks like something that you can't recreate i mean other than the Boston Celtics trying to do it, but again, <laughs> yeah. it doesn't work. It doesn't feel the same yeah. as the bird logo. It's and like you said, right. like it doesn't have, it doesn't look like a Hot Wheels, you know, or whatever. Yeah, yeah, like yeah. it says "burn" without saying "burn," and it sort of fits too with the, um, the imagery on the front of the seven inch. How it's got the kind of staticky yeah. feel, which did, your logo came before that, right? Like, yeah, which yeah. is also kind of cool. Like it, it sort of like fit right in with that, but. We could talk about that fucking seven inch. Well, actually, we did talk about it for probably a combined like four hours. <laughs> for <laughs> four <laughs> hours. Oh, yeah, you're yeah. right. <laughs> yes, we did. We did do that. 
But uh, so design-wise, what are what are some of the things that you're most proud of working on? Um, hmm. Let me think. Where's my list of shit I've worked on? It's like Jesus Christ. Um, I mean, dead guy. Let me think. There's the no escape turning point split. I really liked how that came out. Um, like, let me see the no escape CD. And eh. let me see what what comp was no escape. Like that was the first stuff I was getting published. Was like the no escape stuff. I mean, I even like the layout for the no escape demo. But overall, most proud. Uh, I mean, it, you have to fast forward and. It's like the kiss of goodbye, preacher, target practice, seven inch. Um, I just love how that came out. But I mean, I love how Fixation on a Coworker came out. Like for those who don't know, that's dead guy. Because there's 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 a weird, I live in a weird world where there's people who like me for no escape and earlier, who don't necessarily care about dead guy and later, you know? So I, I never assume one knows the other. But um, dead guy fixation, um, I'm most proud because I feel like it was sort of groundbreaking um, where it's like I embraced doing shit on the computer, pulling all my influences of being this sort of cut and paste artist and doing it for my own music. You know, like, I don't know, doing it for yourself. Yeah. Like, doing your own shit. There's not, you know, it's funny because what happened with, like doing my own bands, then bands would reach out to me to do their stuff. And I didn't have the heart for it. Like I'd read their lyrics and be like, nah, yeah, mm. you know what I mean? Like, like, I don't know, I get off of my stuff. Like I'm writing now and creating and and like, so I don't want to, like, I didn't get as, it's a funny thing. I don't know if this happened to you guys being in bands. Um, it's hard to be as much of a fanboy because you know how the sausage is made in a way and you're doing your own, you know, and like, it's just as magical. Like the memories are just as magical, but now I know like, I, cause I remember like being at ABC, no Rio, um, watching a band and sort of making fun of the band because now I'm this like fanzine critic. And I think I know everything and Mike bullshit from go and all these other bands just says to me, he's like, dude, at least he's got a microphone in his hand and i was like oh fuck you know and that was like i guess like that was like another one of those epiphanies where it's like who am i to criticize stuff <laughs> when i'm i don't even have my own bands to put out there right so this is and before no escape right. oh yeah yeah well you want to hear something funny that will tie ties everything together i bought my copy of the chain what holds us apart seven inch which i saw you did the layout for um from mike bullshit oh really so oh, like uh, couple, recently? yeah a couple like maybe like 2020 or something oh wow that's yeah. great it was the blue it's the blue the blue one i still have I like they came with a shit they came with these posters that we had printed Did you, oh my you god know? you printed those posters yeah yeah, yeah. i have jason that. like chains <laughs> like jason's yeah, i love Jane Jane. great yeah. yeah, I mean, I love Chain too. Tim, I wanted to ask real quick because you mentioned about your, you know, how there's people that kind of like no escape and before and and then after. Because I remember it blew my mind 
being like, wait, the guy that did Boiling Point did like Dead Guy, right? Like a metalcore band or whatever. <laughs> for for Dead Guy, I mean, I know there's I know there's a documentary, um, and I know you guys have played some shows, but since we're not going to get to do an episode on Dead Guy, I figured I although I tried to get Dead Guy in Revelation, that's a whole other thing. But. Right. And then which we would have liked because we could have done a, a whole episode on fixation. But um what was it like for you? Because you know, you, you you've made it known and in the documentary it says you left the band, like that lineup barely even really played on that record, right? Or not on for the record, like the record was out and you were already out of the band. Yeah, yeah. What was it like to see that get this like huge second life, like decibel magazine putting it as this essential extreme music right i remember yeah. when it was in the hall of fame and all that stuff that's gotta uh, be crazy it's totally crazy because like you know basically what happened was you know i went on to do kiss goodbye so i did like two or three more years of music and then well i thought i i didn't really quit because i would do projects like family man and process black and stuff like that um but I wasn't paying attention, right? I was having kids, like, you know, I had three kids with my my wife, obviously. It wasn't just me. Um, and I wasn't really just paying attention. And I wasn't giving dead guy a lot of thought on a daily basis. I'm like, you know, becoming a dad and all this right. other stuff, right? But every once in a while, but then Facebook happens. And every once in a while, I get tagged in something because, like, somebody from a big band is, like, wearing a dead guy shirt. Or, like, and then, like, you like people will send reviews of stuff where people are like flipping out thinking fixation is like this iconic thing and like none of us had any in inclination that that was happening right like it's because it like we played and i think there's some folklore to like when we played like our shows were great i thought um and we were out like when everybody else i think so for me what happened was like quicksand and nirvana happened to the scene right Two great bands, but the scene suffered for their popularity in a way where it's like all of a sudden everybody wanted to rock out, right? Everybody thought, like I was getting pressured to sing, right? In Dead Guy. Like, you know, you guys could be really big if your singer sang and didn't just, you know, all that kind of shit. And we were like, we were like, you know, that was fuel for us to crush everybody. Um, so I think our shows, we're just we just wanted to be louder and more painful and uglier than all this we thought cute shit that was happening um so i think our shows were sort of great in that sense they were sort of off the rails and we were just like this different thing from the other sort of mature hardcore that was happening um so i always think maybe that folklore helped a little bit too but the, you know the record steve evans we recorded with him over and over again and that that was you know we did two seven inches like so by the time we did that record we were super comfortable uh, we were all getting better right so we were with the right producer and steve's great um and he went on to do a million other great things i was so. gonna say he ended up being like um you know he ended up being like a uh you know hot the hot producer is this the yeah. same one that did uh saves the day and floor punch saves the day, lifetime. lifetime yeah um i don't know if he, he did, did dillinger it's a, some early dillinger like uh, i believe he did the first hate breed exactly yeah and so on yeah yeah so and like so i think um part of it is like 
we were the first or one of the first to do our sound right like um and i think part of the magic was i was not a metal kid i was like a hardcore kid so i didn't i didn't know we were like metalcore i just was like they do their thing and i'm gonna do my thing over it and i like that sort of alchemy of like not everybody's you know like if i was like another metal kid that grew up listening to motley crew and judas priest like man i don't know if dead guy would have sounded the way it sounded like i'm trying to do henry rollins or whatever or minor threat over this shit not or laughing hyenas or whatever you know or you know one part you said today one part laughing hyenas, like over that kind of music and i think that and i was all about enunciation and i cannot stand these people who started to do these like blurry cookie monster vocals fucking hated that shit um like i was like you can understand every word in a rollins song like there's no reason you can't be super intense and actually enunciate so um that was another I, yeah and i like that it makes it <laughs> it's a lot easier for a listener to latch on to as well yeah. um uh, but yeah, but it's, yeah i don't know then decibel is like we're putting you in our hall of fame and that was the first time we all talked to each other in 15 years when that happened and but it's still it's not like i can't walk down the street you know what i mean so i wasn't thinking like oh my god we were like this it wasn't until the documentary where i was like wow like people give it like you know like there's good records and then there's like people want to watch a movie about a record you know what i mean like and like we had this movie premiere in philly and it was like packed like and, and all of us are like what the fuck is like we're like where's the where's the punchline like none of us you know you know it's one of those things like you we weren't that cool back then like we had good shows but it wasn't like people were like we were walking around town like we owned the city you know <laughs> so well, it's like, i remember seeing i saw a bunch of very early you mentioned them earlier uh dillinger escape plan shows when dimitri sang yeah and uh they played out here in the suburbs at my friend's dad uh had an auto body shop where they'd work on cars and he would let him do shows there on on like weekends like you know he had to move the cars and all this and dillinger played there a couple times and became friendly with them at that time and uh they talked about how much they worshiped dead guy like that was like their they were like dead guy fixation on a co-worker like that's that's our bible and i mean you can you yeah, can yeah, tell sure. but then they got huge yeah or like um, you know uh you know i become like instagram people started tagging me and dming me and like the guitar player from every time i die who i didn't really know much about like reached out to me and is like, hey, would you consider doing vocals on one of our songs? Because it would mean the world to our singer and like all this stuff. And um, I was like, oh, let me check you guys out. I go to their Spotify and it's like 13 million play. And I'm like, what the fuck is like, I was like, so I think what happened was like bands that got really big, like we were the, that band to them, right? Yeah, um, you were like Lifetime. I mean, really, if you think right. about it, the same thing happened with Lifetime. I mean, they they were popular. People in hardcore knew them, but I saw them in '96, and there was maybe right. 80 people, 100 people. Like it wasn't, yeah. you know, they weren't headlining the Starland Ballroom or whatever. No, Dead Guy and Lifetime played together all the time, and it wasn't like we were like walking around like 
can you believe this? Like, right. But then you had, you know, <laughs> saves two bands on the same bill. Oh my God. Like, you had Saves the Day and you had <laughs> later like Fall Out Boy and all these bands saying yeah. that they, you know, Lifetime were huge. And then next thing you know, they get their second act with Dead Guy. Like it's just got to be. Yeah, kind of and then crazy. the documentary, and, like all these guys in these career bands that are huge talking about the record. I'm like, holy shit, you know? Um, yeah, and like I, you know, it's news to me that we were metal, but the metal community like has em- embraced us. And the metal community has so many um pockets to it. And like that metal fest was that we played that was like so you know, we've never played to more than 500 people, if that ever, right. We play that show at the Fillmore to like 2,500 people or whatever, a packed Fillmore. Yeah, it was sold out, right? Yeah, that was so, like, that was crazy. Like, like, you know, these career bands that like know their way around a stage like that. And here we are, like, we you prop us up 25 years later on the stage in front of a couple thousand people. I was like, what the fuck? But that, the show was so good. Like, the crowd was so cool. Like, I, I literally was like, I think I like metal kids. Like, well, oh, yeah. I, I don't know if we talked about this maybe offline or something, but I may get heat for this. But metal people are a lot more open minded. Oh, than dude, hardcore, and also metal people don't really care about age. So, like, yeah. they'll get into it. Like, a brand new metal band could start tomorrow with dudes that are fifty five. Like, and clear the obituary. Yeah, yeah, and, <laughs> and and metal metal people eat it up. That they, they, yeah. they'll be, you know thinking it's the best thing ever yeah very true metal shows are people are very friendly at metal shows i mean the last one i went to people are definitely talking to strangers and that's not something that i've seen often at hardcore shows but i think everyone's just kind of in their own little world to begin with sometimes but so yeah so that's a long way of saying fixation on coworker. i it's it's so that's probably my favorite layout just because of what that record means, you know? Um, although, with I mean, I can Maya, picture it without even looking at it. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like I can, yeah. some of the stuff I have to look and be like, oh, let me see. That's one of those where I just. Right. I yeah, no, that's a good way. That's a good way to think about it. Yeah. And my thing was like, um, you know, I wanted the design to reflect the music and just like, just be nuts. Right. Like, yeah, almost in some ways break break some of these rules um you know because i use a different font every page but i want i literally and here's the other mindset i had back then was it's got to be worth taking on the shitter right like you, you, it's like you want to take this book with you and like <laughs> take yeah. it to the shitter and flip through this thing and just like look for shit like um that that was my mindset for that kind of stuff so there you go it's shitter worthy <laughs> <laughs> So does it get, so one thing I've noticed is sometimes people will say, oh yeah, that's the boiling point guys, but they never refer to everyone uh, that did boiling point individually. Does that get frustrating at all? Because I do feel like you are overlooked when it comes to a lot of this art that's so iconic is because a lot of times people just say, oh, it was the boiling point guys. Right. I mean, it's sort of like, um, we sort of did that by design it's almost like that and it's funny because none of them went into this as a career or kept with it right um so i don't know if it's frustrating it's it's all it's frustrating sometimes 
when other people seem super famous for doing shit where I'm like, damn, I was doing that before that dude. You know what I mean? Like, like that, they, they seem new school to me. You know what I mean? Um, right. But I'm and, sure you've heard, never a self-marketer. This, you've heard episodes probably of this podcast, even though where someone maybe says something, you're like, wait a second. Like, right. I'm the one that did that logo. <laughs> I'm the one that they did. That's my photo, you know? Yeah, yeah absolutely. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, I'm not, I'm not like a cranky old man about it, but I've definitely, it's funny because I was never like, I don't know. It was one of those overly overthinking the punk thing in a way where I was like, when I start a new band, you can't mention the old bands. Like you, I don't want you to ever say Tim from no escape, you know? And I'm not sure what the thinking there is like that. The new thing has to be completely built on its own laurels. It's right. Cool. I think it's cool. Yeah, but at the same time, it's like if someone wants to know what you're up to next, it's kind of cool to like let them like why why hide it? Like I don't know. It's, yeah. So I but like with dead guy, yeah, I don't know. Yeah, so I go back and forth in that. You know what I mean? Um I don't know. Um, yeah, I, I mean I, me personally, I thought of dead guy as more of a metal band, and that's why it kind of blew my mind when I learned that you you know, kind of grew up coming uh coming up seeing the same youth crew bands that I loved and you loved That's those funny. bands also. I mean, it's just one of those things that it didn't occur to me because Dead Guy didn't have that youth crew sound. This is before <laughs> <No>. this is <laughs> before this is before the deader than you crew shirt that I just yeah. ordered. <laughs> yes. But also before this is also before you know the internet. Before the internet. That's a good point. Yeah. Yeah. That's true. Uh, yeah, because there really was a, a divide, especially when I started. There was a a, a line in the sand between metal like, and youth crewish. The stuff? metal, yeah, yes, I agree. So? No, I, I mean, do. I rain agree on, with you. It's funny, like Rain on the Parade had that the body bag seven inch, which is one of my favorite '90s records. But then I will say, what's funny is I remember Ronnie Little would write in um, zines, and he loved Dead Guy. I remember him being like, this is on victory, but it was something like, don't let the bulldog fool you. Like, but dead guys, fucking... dead guys, not earth crisis. Dead guy has more in right. common with black flag than it does with. Right. But I'm know. saying he, he saw that, but yeah, yeah, that the metal stuff was like, that wasn't my lane really at all. And there really, it was like, there was two different scenes like we joke, like Javier, a lot of people are baffled. You know, Javier had to leave because um, I would love to hear his perspective. But like we were on, on in two different worlds. Like while I was listening to, you know, Floor Punch and In My Eyes and Hands Tied and all that stuff. He was, you know, down, listening to down tuned stuff with dudes with eyeliner and like you know whatever but i don't think shirts. but tim dead guy didn't play with those style of bands i mean when i saw dead guys nah, what 108 and bloodlet like, yeah. and yeah exactly um yeah. we played with lifetime a lot neurosis cable um whoever yeah i mean it was like we still played hardcore shows um, yeah yeah so to me it wasn't that huge of a disconnect like but i did feel like um like 
I was part of the youth crew CBGB's crowd. And then there was the ABC No Rita era. Mm-hmm. And a lot of the New York CBGB's crowd didn't sort of migrate over there. So that became a new scene. And then by the time I was in No Escape, you'd still play Anthrax shows. You're still part of that tail end of that stuff. Like we played Spankies, we played ABC No Rio, we played um, Anthrax, like I said. Like we played up the Pyramid, stuff like that. Um, but No Escape didn't play that. And then we toured. And then with Dead Guy, I felt like it was the next scene. Like, you know, there's Lifetime and Mouthpiece was big. Turning Point was sort of, I think they might have been done by then. Um, trying to think who else is, like Quicksand was big. Like, I don't know, there's like a whole new era, right? Um, that, and so like that New Brunswick, Lifetime, Dead Guy, and all the other Bouncing Souls had no connection at this point, to like the New York hardcore scene that I came from. So in some ways, I did feel like I happened to, I was lucky that I sort of bounced from a scene to a scene to a scene. Well, that's what I was going to say is like, a dead guy, I didn't lump in with my whole point that I wasn't able to properly articulate was dead guy, I didn't lump into that metallic scene. Right. But also dead guy, you know, fixation was 1995. That was before really this, you know, 97 revival. By the time uh, of that whole revival, Dead Guy was done. You were doing Kiss right. Goodbye. Yeah, and we weren't part of that, like, yeah, that sort of metally oversized jeans. Yeah, no. Or wearing, I don't know, basketball clothes. I don't even know. I didn't pay attention. <laughs> you know, I was just like trying to do some Kiss Goodbye stuff and go on toward the insane or something yeah so anyway jason do you do you have anything i i i didn't know if you had anything else uh, i mean i i do but at the same time i think we should wrap it up but i mean i (laughs) i do have a ton of stuff i mean tim sent us this folder this dropbox folder with just an insane amount of iconic artwork that i think i'll probably have to make a video out of or something so that people could see it if it's okay to do that um, yeah yeah i mean and some of what i sent you is like um sort of outtakes like there was like interviews i did with quicksand burn i saw that yeah i was looking that was gonna be a boring point and then it was gonna be a zine i called static and then it was gonna be a zine i called eye disease okay so um, that's what the eye disease was yeah was so those are all sort that. of weird outtakes um which is why when people ask me about a boiling point book, it's a little complicated because I'm like, well, there's shit I'm still sitting on that I'd want to put in this thing. Like, I don't yeah. want to just Xerox the original issues, although maybe some people think that's fine. Um, no. That's not interesting to me, like, it, as much as it is, you know. It's cool to have them. So, it's, you know, just for what we're doing, it's cool that I could have the Xerox copies of them. But if this could be in a thick book the same way that Touch and Go is or what some of the other re-release zines packaged up nicely especially with that unreleased issue that yeah, you're yeah, working yeah. on with the eye disease stuff and then even some of the photos of how how the mock-ups look now yeah yeah, yeah. exactly I, mean, I want to take pictures of all that yeah i mean i think that would be awesome yeah so i think of it more as like an archival project in a way than just xeroxing the original zines yeah reprint the shirt that zach is wearing he's wearing a boiling oh. point he's wearing a boiling point shirt in the in the yeah few of the photos that. that are in here 
so cool to see. Um, yeah, that's insane to me. Like, well, it's just insane that he became one of the world's biggest whatever. You know, it's like where they sell out Madison Square Garden. Like, that's just nuts. Yeah, I it was good. When I saw it last year, it was awesome. I mean, he still has that energy. It was last year it was still this year, buddy. Oh, yeah, it was this year. You're right. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I didn't get to. Yeah, the year's and, uh, almost over. They were supposed to. I saw before COVID. They were originally scheduled to do a second leg that they, they were supposed to play at Camden, mm. but then that never happened. And now the tour's postponed. So who knows if it'll ever happen? But I wasn't able to get up to New York or down to DC. So yeah, I don't know how I'd do at a stadium show. I mean, I'm sure it'd be fun. Yeah. Well, that's the thing too. I was kind of like, if I go, I want to be like pretty close. Yeah, and how do you pull I, that? I off? look around and I'm a bit like, I don't like, I don't know. You tell me, how was it like looking around and seeing people? Did you feel like it was a weird scene or no? It was cool. I mean, it, the age range was a lot of there was actually a lot of younger people there and there was a lot of older people, but the younger people I think were there to see this thing that they had built up in their mind and wanted to be at for so long. They were just so excited to be in the building, and then the older people that were there were excited to see this thing that brought them back to a time that they remember yeah. being more enthusiastic and in all honesty it was cool to see darren was there from jade tree and oh, really? tim owen was there and it was yeah. it was just cool yeah. to see these people that were that are come from hardcore but then also at this big stadium show there was something kind of fun about that Minus the two hundred dollars that I spent on the ticket to be on the floor, <laughs> <laughs> so I could be up front, <laughs> so I could be up front as much as possible. But yeah, yeah, it was cool. But I mean, really, I like Rage Against the Machine, but I like them because I want to see Inside Out play. Do you oh. know what I mean? I I like them because I want to see something that I can't see, which is to see Zach. And we've always said this, and Javier out. disagrees, and he's gonna he's gonna hear this and. I mean, we're going to get a message, but like, I feel like that is a reunion that would be awesome because I've seen Vic play in the last couple of years. We saw footage of Zach. They both still have that energy and that fire. And I feel like it would be killer. Even if they just did the six recorded songs they have. That's the best case scenario. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I'm sure they would perform it well. I just like if you're Zach, like um he got there's so, literally no reason for him to right. do it. And he's so political and inside out is so you know emo, emotion, whatever. I don't know what how you describe those lyrics, like spiritual emo, whatever they are, right? Yeah. Um, Cause I and I remember this. Um Zach used to hang out at the Rev headquarters, right? And apparently he was there when um, Kiss Goodbye came out, right? And someone reported, it might have been Jordan or someone told me like, yeah, he liked the record, but he said you should do more songs like What If, right? Which is like the sort of anti-cop song. Um, you know, and I'm, you know, I have no agenda for my lyrics. Like that song's about something that happened, like the What If song. Um, like where I got mistaken, some of them mistook me for someone they were looking like a cop mistook me for a suspect they were looking for, and I felt like I had no rights the second this cop hopped out of the car and was like cornering me. 
but um so that, so i was writing from personal experience i wasn't i didn't wake up and just go i'm gonna write a cop song right um but you know it became i always think about that because i'm like you know would he go back and write songs like i believe in redemption or whatever um or you know what i mean like after writing such yeah. political stuff you know so i don't know if he'd find it in himself to kind of go out there and do that for basically fan service right like i don't know like so yeah just not him right because he clearly doesn't need to <laughs> he can pack madison square garden you know yeah. <laughs> he, he, doesn't need to please, he doesn't need to please a bunch of like old dudes just that uh want to <laughs> either either relive relive the glory days or in the case of old dudes like me and jason want to see something that we weren't quite old enough to experience yeah yeah you, know, just born, but, you have to suffer for being young that's yeah, right. right. <laughs> but anyway, Tim, thanks so much. This was awesome. It's good talking to you. And uh, we're 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 stoked that there's still we still have another reason to talk yes, to you. Yes, we, we do. The, the choke EP. So you're not done with us yet. Nice, nice. All right. You guys have a care. good one and Thanks a good for your holiday. time, Tim. See Peace. you. Bye bye. What's up, everybody? It's Javier. I know you missed me on this episode a little bit. Maybe I was there a little bit. Listen, I just wanted to rattle off our top tier patrons real quick. Billy Tinnell, Brandon Duvall, Brian Buskey, Brian Skiffington, Brooklyn, Cesar Falcon, Chad Keplinger, Cliche John, David Palmer, Dirk Focus, John Cowell, Quiet Keith, Nate of Head to Wall Fame, Ryan Walker, Ryan White, Tad Payton, Tim Shear, Tyler of the Life and Death Brigade, and Sign Records. Remember, there's bonus content if you're a patron. That means if you're a patron and you were listening to this right now on Patreon, there'd be something did greg and jason talking about tim singer some more so go to the website where it went podcast.com find out information how you can be a patron if not we'll see you next episode bidet